Merry Christmas. Are we excited about Christmas? I was talking to someone in the first service. I'm like, I'm totally ready. I'm like, who are you? No one is ready. This is uh, December 3rd. But as Michelle said, this is the first week of Advent. And if you're from a more traditional uh, Christian or Catholic uh, church background, you will probably be more familiar with that. Others really do only know about the chocolate calendars from Trader Joe's. But yes, Advent is a thing. There are four weeks le- leading up to Christmas Day. We are so excited that you are celebrating Advent here with us today. Um, and I was thinking a lot about Christmas. One of the challenges, I think, for a pastor is how do you take a story that people hear every year, make it fresh, you know, make it exciting, because Jesus is still going to be in the manger. There's still going to be shepherds, right? How do I tell that story that you've heard? Uh, a lot of us have heard many times. Um, but I was really kind of reflecting on the entire thing uh, about Christmas, this cultural phenomenon, you know? And really, even though Christianity is not maybe as popular as it once was in our country, our Christian roots are kind of, there's a little distance. Guys, 96% of our country will celebrate December 25th this year, right? They will mark it on the calendar as a time to have family together, to, to exchange gifts, to get into the Christmas spirit. And 60% of Americans will celebrate some kind of religious service during the next, during this this season. So there's still a huge, huge, huge opportunity for us as Christians to tell our friends and neighbors the good news about Jesus during this season. But I was kind of thinking about how Christians have kind of reacted, how maybe I've even reacted to the lack of appreciation for Christmas that sometimes is out there today, right? We complain about people not saying Merry Christmas, but instead season's greetings. We don't like that, right, sometimes. Or or we complain about the commercialization of Christmas and stuff. But you know, um, honestly, I, I want to say, I think that's just indicative of where our culture is. And instead of trying to berate people for not really getting that Jesus is the reason for the season, guys, I want to inspire people. I don't want to shame people for not being excited about Jesus I want to inspire people with the true story of Christmas. And I was thinking about maybe where the disconnect really is, because I think there kind of is a disconnect. It's not that people don't realize that Jesus, you know, Christmas is Jesus's birthday. Uh, I think the average American adult understands that Christmas is a religious holiday. It's about Jesus. But here's where I think the disconnect is. I don't believe many people understand the power of the story. And I was trying to think of a way to really illustrate that. And, and so here's kind of what I came up with. I imagine you're one of the 2% of the American population that's never seen Star Wars, okay? That's you. And your friend is mad that you've never seen Star Wars. And so they invite you to a Star Wars watch party, okay? But you're not that enthusiastic. You're not that excited. So you come late. And they're watching the original trilogy. They're watching Empire Strikes Back. They're, and you get in right at that moment. And there's this big lightsaber battle between, you know, um, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And then it's this epic moment, right, in the movie. And, and Darth Vader says, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. And then Luke Skywalker, he's kind of beaten at this point in the battle. And he's on his back. And he says, he told me enough. He told me you killed him. And then all of a sudden, play it, guys. No, I am your father. Right, and the audience gasps and the popcorn flies and everybody is like, whoa! And you're like, what is the big deal? Like, 
what am I missing right now, right? Because you don't have any context because you don't realize that what just happened is the biggest plot twist in cinematic history that Darth Vader is actually Luke Skywalker's father. Like none of that is, is really connecting for you. And so you look around and you're like, man, what, what, what am I missing? And I think, honestly, I think that's a lot of what's happened with the Christmas story. I think our, our culture has lost so much of its Christian roots that we literally don't understand that this is the biggest plot twist in human history. Like what happened in Bethlehem is crazy, okay? I'm excited about it, all right? <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you, I think if people understood it, they'd be excited too, right? Uh, plot twists are, are powerful moments. If you're a script writer or a story writer, you know, there are these unexpected times when everything changes. And that's literally what happened in Christmas at Bethlehem. And so I want to I want to kind of give us the backstory. I'm going to actually show you how I think this plays out. I want to look at the story as Matthew records it. And you, we're going to just read the traditional Christmas story. But if you don't have context, so much of what Matthew says is going to fly like right over your head, right? I'll show you. Look, look at Matthew 1. <coughs> This was so embarrassing in the first service. I misspelled Matthew. Like, that's terrible. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> like, how did I do it? Right. It's not even a hard word. Okay, here we go. All right. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. I put some things in yellow I'm going to tr- talk about. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. And here it is. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we might be familiar if you've been to church for any length of time, you've heard this story, this version or the one in Luke, um, and you kind of know some of that story. But guys, if you really don't have the context, a lot of these details are just not going to register. There's, there's actually several questions you could be asking. Number one, what does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? What does that even mean? What's that word mean? Why is it important to note that Jesus's mother was a virgin? And that, that the pregnancy was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why is that detail in there? And that's kind of hard to believe. Like, really? Right? Here's the next one. Why is Joseph called the son of David when just a few verses earlier in the genealogy, Joseph's father's name's Jacob? Like, why is he called son of David here? What does that mean? And then later, what does it mean that he's going to save his people from their sins? And What is this business about Emmanuel, God with us? So much of that story uh, is not going to register to maybe our friends who haven't been to church and who don't know the story of Christmas. 
And so we read something like that and we're just like, no way, this is amazing, right? Like this is God coming to, you know, to earth. Like this is, this is the greatest day in history. And yet it's not so much connecting. So what we want to do in this series is we want to take us back to the beginning. We want to give that context. In fact, we want to show you these links between Jesus and the birth story of Christ at Christmas and the story that God is weaving through scripture to bring to this final like moment here of where God shows what he's all been up to all along, which is our salvation. So I want to, I want to begin in, in, in a different gospel. So we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew was the one who read, but I want to look at the way John starts because John begins his story about Jesus in a very different way. He doesn't talk about Bethlehem. He doesn't talk about the wise men or the shepherds or the, or any of the stuff in the nativity scene. In fact, John, I think, has an audience that's maybe more like our audience today. Not a lot of the folks that maybe John was writing to understood the Jewish traditions. Some of John's audience were Gentiles. Look at how John starts. This is fascinating. Instead of in the beginning, Bethlehem, he says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. In fact, those first three words that John starts with in the beginning, they are a hyperlink. They connect to something else in scripture. In fact, they connect to the very first three words of the entire Bible. John is going to make it really clear to his reader that the story about Jesus connects all the way back to the story of the Bible. That Jesus isn't just kind of one more character in the story. Guys, he is the character in the story. Come on. That's powerful. Think about that, right? Jesus isn't just one more, one more idea or one more great story. He is the story. In fact, in Genesis chapter one, it reads this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we have John kind of riffing off of, of Genesis and he's connecting the Jesus story and the Genesis story. And in fact, this idea of creation gets figured right into John's gospel as well. Look what John goes on to say. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Now we're gonna find out who this word person is here in a minute, but look what he says. He existed in the beginning with God and here's the creation thing. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. So John is going to start his story about Jesus with this mind-blowing concept that Jesus was actually in the beginning. He's called the word here. In fact, Jesus is responsible in a, in a pre-Bethlehem state, like before he was in Bethlehem, before Jesus was born as a baby, he already existed. He was in the eternity with the father in heaven. And he is the thing that created all things. It is, he is co-equal. This is what John said. He's co-equal with God himself. He's the creator. Now, you know, guys, I want to just make a pause a second there and just say these things that I think are so important. See, today, I think our country kind of forgets that we are created. In fact, the very idea that there's a creator is sometimes debated. Like, is there really a God? Are we really created? And we live as if there isn't a creator. And we, we act as if there is no one that we owe any obligations to. And John says, no, that's not true. In fact, guys, Christmas says, no, that's not true. There is a creator. 
And that creator came at Bethlehem. That creator is coming into the world to redeem that which he made because he loves us so much. And so I think even there, even in that little like little side I wanted to say there in our story is powerful truth for our friends today. That there is a creator. We're not alone. We matter. God loves us. And he came for us at Christmas time. But I want to dive back into the story just one more second here in John. John goes on in this story and he says, in him was life. In Jesus is what he's talking about. And that life was the light of all of mankind. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So the last thing I want to say about this point, but before I move on, but I want to make this comment here. John is telling us very early in his story that there's this battle between dark and light. In the creation story in Genesis, it's God creates light. But in John's version, he twists it a bit and he says, not just is there a creation of light, guys, there's a battle between light and darkness. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And John is talking about Jesus and how he figures into this battle and what his role is going to be. In fact, if you read the Genesis story, you know that that battle starts really early. In fact, in, in the third chapter of Genesis, we have this terrible scene of where we are in this, the humans, the first humans are in this perfect garden with God and this slithering snake, right, comes into the garden from outside of the garden and from where the chaos exists. And he's coming into the garden and he tempts humans outside of God's authority. You don't need to listen to God. You can become your own God, he lies. And it says in that, in that terrible moment when humans just turn their back on what God said and try to become their own rulers, right? They fall into the, into the trap of the enemy, right? And, and there's one more thing I want to point to. This is a powerful moment in the story. Again, all this backstory is so critical for Christmas. There's a, there's a scene where God is now going to confront the snake. This is in chapter three and verse 15. And I want to show you how the message uh, paraphrase uh, picks up the scene. It says this, God is speaking to the snake and he says, I'm declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head, you'll wound his heel. Now, forgive me, but I wish I could change something about this verse because I think it would have more dramatic punch, right? I wish God said like, you'll wound his heel, but he's gonna crush your head. Like, I just think that'd be like a little bit more like, bam, like Satan, you gotta watch out what's coming for you one day. Like, this is not over. This is just the beginning because that's exactly what's happening in this story. See, I wanna make a point here. God says, I'm declaring war between you and the woman. God isn't in a war against Satan. Friend, guys, let me say this. Satan is not even in God's league. God, God is not worried about Satan. He's not shaking in his, in his cosmic boots because there's a devil. Like Satan is nothing on God at all. The battle is in between God and Satan. Here's what the battle is. The battle is between Satan and creation. Satan wants to uncreate what God has created. We are the crown of creation. We, we are the image bearers of God. And Satan wants to try to decreate all the good that God has made. And he wants to start in our lives. 
He wants to uncreate all the harmony and peace that God wants to sow in your life. He wants to turn your relationships against each other. He wants to sow division in your families. He wants to show, he wants to sow shame into your past and into your, into your future and make you unafraid to do the things God's called you to do. He wants to steal your future. He wants to rob you of your peace. That's what Satan's after. And so in this, in this war that God's declaring, he says, listen, there's going to come a day that there's going to be an offspring of the woman. And that woman's offspring is going to crush your head. I'm getting excited this morning. Guys, can I, can I say this to you? If our friends and neighbors knew that part of the story, maybe when they saw the Christmas trees go up, they'd start smiling too. Getting a little ahead of myself, but man, I, we're gonna we're gonna be in for it here in a second. Okay, I want you to catch this, guys. This is fire this morning. So let's look at the story as it goes on. After Genesis three, it goes from bad to worse. If you if you do know the story, you know that right out of the um right in the next chapter, the first murder happens, and it's a murder between two brothers. And then the wars and and all the things that happened in the Old Testament, God chooses different human partners to try to bring redemption and peace into the world. But inevitably, every one of those partners fail in some way. They fail to trust God. They, they fail to really do what God's called them to do. He, he chooses the nation of Israel and he covenants with them. And not only have they barely started their covenant together, that uh, they 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 create a golden calf and they start worshiping another god and and it's just a terrible story of of like starts and stops and and victories and defeats and Israel's just unable to to fully walk into that covenant God had for them and then it comes to the end of that story and Israel's now a nation but they're being defeated because God's withdrawn protection from them because they're not faithful. And there's this, there's this moment, you guys, when the nation of Israel, this, this, this people that God chose to be a light to the world, they're starting to, to lose their nation. And there's this powerful invading force from the north, the Assyrian army. And they wipe out the, the northern tribes of Israel. And that just makes the entire nation tremble. And God raises up a prophet at that moment in history. And his name is Isaiah. And I want to look at this. This is powerful today. Look what Isaiah says. He says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair, it will not go on forever. Remember, he's talking to a nation that just experienced a defeat. He says, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, those are the northern tribes, they will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. So it's almost as if this prophet says to his people who are defeated, yes, it's dark right now. In fact, there's gonna be even more darkness, but this isn't gonna have the final say. It's almost, it's almost the prophet says, come here, shoulder to shoulder, I wanna show you something. We're gonna look up and we're gonna look out. And this darkness that we're experiencing isn't forever, he says. The darkness that we as a nation have experienced, the defeats because we are unable to really follow Yahweh because we're, 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 we're just human. We, no matter, even the best of us, even David, our best king, just isn't able to, to, to run from the temptations that can come with his power, right? Even the best humans among us fail. But Isaiah says, I want to show you something prophetically. I'm going to point to the future. And he says this, look at the next verse. He says, 
The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. A couple of verses later, he says this in verse four, for you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The prophet is, is, is pointing to some past victories where God was able to take out one of Israel's enemies with the unlikely you know, band of soldiers of only 300. And he says, just like you did that with the army of Midian, one day you're gonna give us the victory in the future. And so guys, there's this prophetic hope that the prophet Isaiah is sowing into the hearts of the people. But then I wanna show you something that happens. And this is the unexpected, this is the plot twist, okay? In the middle of this prophet prophecy of this hope that one day will ha- come, he says this, look what he says. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, now before we go to verse seven, I, I wanna kind of unpack some of this. This has been called the royal birth announcement. Isaiah is, is pro- prophetically you know, predicting that there will be a time when a child will be born. But this is not just any child. I mean, a child being born is not a big prophecy. Like, okay, they're born every day. But Isaiah is saying this particular child is somebody special. This particular king will be like like no other king that's ever existed. This is not just a child born. (laughs) Notice, Notice how weird this is phrased. This is a son that's given. See, the prophet says one day a child will be born, but that child won't just be like any other child. That child will be a son that's given. That's really fascinating. He goes on, the government will rest on his shoulders, but notice the description. These are four different names that this son will have, right? The first one is wonderful counselor. Guys, every king wants to be a wonderful counselor for their nation. Every human leader wants to be the kind of leader that gives policies and plans that bring peace to a country. Every, every, every government, really, that's a good government, tries to bring a nation into a place where they have good laws that protect the innocent and that give our country peace. This child that's born, this son that's given, his name is Wonderful Counselor. He's gonna be that king we all want. He goes on and says, Mighty God, this next name is so peculiar, especially for a Jewish king. Because in the Jewish world, you never would call your king a god. That was common in other like ancient, you know, cultures. But in the Jewish culture, they would never say that their god was a king. Everlasting father, another very strange thing to call a son and a child that's just been born. How is he also an everlasting father And how is he this prince of peace? But I want you to look at this next verse and this will bring it home for us. And this is powerful, you guys. Let this really hit you today. It says his government and its peace will never end. His his rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all of eternity. Remember earlier when I talked about how Joseph, it says that he was uh, the son of David. 
in that Bethlehem, you know, story in Matthew 1. And now you're seeing, if now you get the backstory, Matthew was actually saying that this baby that's born from in, in Bethlehem, this baby that's born of the Virgin Mary that doesn't have a human father, come on, let's go, that doesn't have a human father, that only has a mother, the offspring of the woman that we are talking about in Genesis is now into the world, coming into the world with a rod that will break the oppressor's bondage. Jesus, the King, is coming into the world to bring justice. You know, guys, if there's one thing that will divide people quicker than anything, it's politics, isn't it? You know, we can get super divided over who which political leader that we, we want to elect, and we all have our reasons for who we vote for. But you know what's so great about this story is that behind all that election energy and all that, you know, the debates that can happen in our country over uh, political leaders is really a desire, guys, for the exact thing that's being promised in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. We want a king, we want a ruler that will rule in fairness. We don't want someone that has political interest groups in their back pocket pulling the strings. We don't want someone that's corrupt. We don't want someone that we are, are we don't know what they're going to do with their power. And that's the sad story of, of the human drama ever since it started is that even the best of us fall and get corrupted. Even the very best intentions sometimes don't play out. We long, guys, check this out. We long for a king and his name is Jesus. That's what we want. Yeah, let's celebrate. That's what we want. And that's what Isaiah says is happening here. He says that, that, that the, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies are going to make this happen. And I want to tell you that these prophecies that are buried in the Hebrew Bible, they fired the imaginations of people for, for centuries. I mean, this prophecy we just looked at, guys, this was written 700 years before Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? That this prophecy of this child that would one day be born and the son that would one day given this, this Messiah figure that would rule with fairness, it was 700 years before Jesus. Then this Bethlehem moment happens, right? Jesus is born. He dies on a cross. He rises from the dead. And guys, it's undeniable, right? The impact that Jesus has had on the world. You don't have to be a Christian to say the world flipped upside down when this, guys, this little Jewish man from a unimportant section of geography in the Middle East who rises to prominence and who walks into Israel, walks into Jerusalem with 12 disciples, all of whom abandoned him at the very end, right? And then because of his resurrection, turned the world upside down. That is completely unlikely. That is a huge plot twist. That is like, how do you explain this entire transformation that happens 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem? And uh, there's a passage in the New Testament where I want to end today, where you have Peter, one of Jesus's you know, first and most trusted disciples. And he's, he's reflecting on this. And I want to show you what he writes because this to me is just awesome. Look what he says, First Peter chapter one. He says, this salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. He goes on, he says, they wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about 
when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory. Hit the next one. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Let me break, break that down for you. So Peter is, he's, he's on the other side of Jesus's birth and his, his life and his death and his resurrection. And Peter's in the middle of the church's explosion. The church is now taking the message of Jesus everywhere. And he's writing this letter to the other churches. And he's, he's just thinking for a second about this whole story that we've been talking about today, about the entire story. And he says, you know, he says, those prophets that wrote about Jesus hundreds of years earlier, those prophets, they were curious about this. They didn't understand even what they were writing. They were being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about things. And they didn't even know what, what, what is this all about? Well, how is this really going to happen? And even the angels, he says. Guys, I want you to picture this for a second, okay? This, this is awesome. I want you to ma- imagine the very night of Jesus' birth. I want you to imagine the host of heaven leaning over, you know, the ones who didn't get a chance to go down to talk to the angels, you know, the rest of the, 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 the shepherds, you know, the rest of the angels that are up there in heaven, you know, and they're leaning in and they're like, I cannot believe he did this, right? Like, I cannot believe that this is what he's doing. Guys, the angels are saying, are you, are you serious? God himself is coming into the human world. This is totally unexpected. This is completely crazy. I'm not sure if there was almost a second rebellion in heaven at that moment or not, because like God must love them so much that he's willing to leave the glories of heaven to come into our human world, our dirty, disease-filled, death-filled, hate-filled world, and to live a perfect life and to have the human race mock him and spit on him and eventually nail him to a cross. Guys, the angels themselves were like, really? Talk about a plot twist. The greatest plot twist in human history is the plot twist of Christmas. And, and I'm, I'm afraid sometimes our friends and our neighbors don't really understand because they don't really realize who it was that came. As John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a powerful moment. But I want to end today really asking you a question because we all have plot twists in our lives too. There's the plot twist that no one saw coming, that God himself would become a human to save us. But then there's my plot twist. There's a plot twist that you might be going through. And some of these plot twists are great. Some of them are like amazing. Like when you hit the lottery and you're like, I wasn't expecting that. (laughs) But some of them are really tough. Like when you get that diagnosis or that that sudden unemployment hits or maybe you get somebody close to you that passes away suddenly. I was talking recently to someone who goes to our church and she just called me. It was on a Saturday two weeks ago and she just said, Brad, I just need to tell you that my husband just passed away. He was taking the dog for a walk and he had a heart attack. I was able to go over there this week with my mother-in-law actually just to comfort her and just to be with her and hold her. And It's a plot twist. If you're in the law enforcement community, we had two of our troopers today, this week hit in a terrible tragedy. 
No one saw that coming. What do we do when life throws a plot twist at us? Guys, the good news isn't good news if it doesn't really help me through, right? If this is just an old story that we celebrate every year, but it's not, friends. This is the powerful story of God's redemptive work in this world. This is the story that tells you it doesn't matter how it might look, God still loves you. It doesn't matter what you're facing, God's still with you. Guys, listen, he's the serpent crushing. He's the justice bringing. He's the powerful offspring of the woman, the child that was born. He's the son that's given. He's coming for you. He's coming for me. And he's gonna make all things better one day. That's who we celebrate at Christmas. That's why I jump up and down and say, guys, Jesus was born. Holy cow. Who's excited about that? I am. Because that changes everything. Well, how hopeless would life be if God had never came? Your death, your disease, your loved ones, no redemption. All the work you and I do to, to give people that we care about things, to make their life better, all that for nothing the work you put into your career, the good work you might do in trying to com combat evil in different ways. If there's no God who comes to redeem it all, then what's the point? Guys, our world needs hope. Your neighbors, my neighbors, your coworkers, my coworkers, hopefully not my coworkers, they're all Christians, I hope. They need hope. They need Jesus. I worry about Chris sometimes. I, I do. <laughs> Guys, 96% of our country still celebrates Christmas. They might not know why, but they do. 60% will come to church. And even a greater percentage, I dug into it, if they're asked, if they're invited. This is a huge opportunity to tell the good news of Jesus to our city. Before I, I end, I wanna give you a moment though, because you might've come to church and you might be in the middle of a real big plot twist. And I wanna remind you to trust God in the twists. I wanna remind you right now to trust God in the twists. I wanna give us a time as a church just to pray. Maybe you need a, a, a friend to pray with you. I'm gonna invite the prayer team forward. I'm gonna invite us to stand as a church. And right now I wanna just ask, um, if you're going through a hard plot twist in life and you're confused because you didn't see it coming, guys, can I tell you that that forked tongued serpent wants to fill your head with a bunch of lies about God. He wants to tell you that God's forgotten about you, that he only cares about certain people and you're not one of them. Or maybe he doesn't even exist. I wanna tell you right now, God does exist. Christmas really happened. The world really did change. And God's really coming back one day. 